Welcome to the Business for Good podcast, hosted by myself, Megan Lampke, where we inspire people to dare greatly, do good, and impact lives while reimagining their businesses for good. Join us weekly as we interview top executives, founders, and business owners to learn why they've decided to add an impact component to their products and services. This show is partnered with Venture, a nonprofit organization based in Minnesota, where their vision is to do tough things to reach people in tough places, working with their Business for Good platform. To learn more information or to get involved, visit venture.org forward slash business for good. Now let's dive in. Welcome to the Business for Good podcast. I'm Megan Lampke, and today I'm so excited to have our guest Connor Beck here from Conscious Suds. Hi, Connor. How's it going today? Hey, Megan. Good to see you, cuz. Good to see you, too. Uh, For everyone that doesn't know, Connor is actually my cousin. Basically, in our family, you need to be an entrepreneur to have a seat at the Christmas table. Just kidding. We accept all kinds. But literally, our family is full of entrepreneurs and self-starters. And so it's so uh, exciting to talk to Connor about his latest business venture, Conscious Suds. So, Connor, tell us, how did you dream up this idea? And tell us more about about your background and your business. Yeah, totally. Well, it's good to be here with you. And you are uh, one of the many entrepreneurs that inspires me to do what I do. That's the thing. You know, I, I think if you, uh, if you want to do anything, you need a little, a little fire to kind of like ignite a, a bigger spark. And um, that's really how this whole idea got started. I remember... Um, studying history at St. John's and also taking other classes outside of my major. I took one called Ecofeminist Philosophy. And I learned a lot about uh, what we're doing to the planet as people. And not all of it is good. Shocker. Uh, Spoiler alert, climate change is real. And (laughs) it's kind of an existential threat. And if you don't know about it, uh, Bill Gates wrote a book on it recently. So would look it up. But anyways, um, and I thought, okay, wow, we got to really do something about uh, climate change. We have to do something about living, trying to build systems that allow us to live on this planet in more harmony with each other, with um, the ecosystems around us, and uh, with the goal of us being able to live better lives and all life really being able to thrive. And I thought, okay, so what can I do? to use my skills and talents in a way that actually does something about climate change. And I think at the time I was really, you know, I, you think, you know, everything at that age. And right. I was like, when you're like 22, you're like, and, oh, <laughs> I know everything. <laughs> it's so true. You know, and I thought, I thought wrongly, of course, that business majors were just total sellouts who just like didn't care about the planet and yeah. wanted money. And that was of course a big lie. Because I learned a lot about businesses, you know, like Patagonia, um, plenty of other businesses that are using business to affect change. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, talking about all these entrepreneurs in my life, there are a lot of entrepreneurs like John Mackey and Yvonne Chenard, um, who are, again, using business to empower people, really, everyday citizens, you know, I think this this was during the Obama administration. It was supposed to be a more uh, progressive administration in terms of environmental policy. And I thought, 
even now we're still, you know, blowing up mountains to mine coal and like, like what is going on? We, we need other factors at work besides government and business of course can be that. And the cool thing about business and about being a consumer is that you, you vote once a year, you know, or once every four years for the president, but you vote every time you go to the store, right. With your dollars, you know, and I realized that, that is the kind of, that's like the frequency of action that we need. We need more consistent action toward good. And just like you would support a candidate with your vote or a set of policies with your vote, you can support the businesses um, that you want to thrive with your money, the types of businesses you want to see thrive and the, the systems of business you want to see thrive with your money. And that like puts the power back in the hands of consumer, the citizen, I'm trying to get away from the word consumer because it just makes it feel like all we do is consume. We're citizens, right? You know, and and together we can take collective action. And one of those ways is through spending money. So I had this idea for a soap company because I thought, well, I have all these different interests. One is organic agriculture. Another one is public health and, you know, marketing and and they all kind of came together, weirdly enough, around soap, because as you know, my mom and our aunt, Lori, <laughs> made soap, you know, yeah. for decades before, uh, before I went to college. And right. I, I grew up with the soap and didn't really think of it uh, as anything special, you know, but then I go to my friend's house and I'd be using like the, the plastic bottle the and everything. Soap. I thought that yeah. was so weird. And it wouldn't like, lather. And then you're like, no. what do you do with this afterwards? Yeah. Do you recycle this thing? Do Ugh. you throw it away and create waste? Like, what? what's your deal? It kind of made me nervous. Yeah. <laughs> at that age. So, yeah. So, yeah. Anyways, I don't know how I connected all the dots. But again, I really did think about soap as like this nexus point for all these different interests I had. And you know, my idea was to create a bar of soap made from organic and wildcrafted ingredients. And when people buy a bar of soap, they're doing more than buying a bar of soap. They're supporting the farmers that grew the ingredients mm-hmm. to make that soap. They're supporting the types of farming systems that um, created the ingredients. So in this case, organic, which, you know, of course we can, we can talk about and debate about, but I think is a healthier alternative to conventional agriculture. And so I thought this is a good way to, yeah, empower the consumer, you know, and then I just want people to know that their everyday actions make a big difference on the world. Like we all know that now from having lived through a pandemic, that if you wash your hands, you can stop the spread of a pandemic, stop the spread of disease, stop a disease from evolving that's a small individual action that you take, but really like it, you know, you can, you can pass on a virus to hundreds of people as an individual, or you can stop it dead in its tracks as one person too, as well. So soap again was kind of like the, the symbol for a larger movement. It was like the sim. sorry, one of my coworkers is thought I was on mute. Anyways, they're messaging me. It's all good. Um, <laughs> yeah. So soap became the symbol, soap became the thing. And that's really how it got started. And for years, I just kind of sold it on my own and experimented. And then, you know, it took a, a worldwide pandemic to really bring it into the next level of where it's at now. And 
Uh, I got the stimulus check and I moved back in with my parents and I thought this is my time to, to do conscious suds and make it a thing. And it's been, it's been a journey and I've learned a ton already and, and it hasn't even been a year. So. Well, tell us more about that journey of, you know, I think of it almost as entrepreneurship light. So you, you have this yeah. vortex of all of these different Venn diagrams. Like I know you're so gifted at marketing. You're so gifted at being creative. And I know you have a huge passion for um, just sustainable farming because you've spent time mm-hmm. doing that. Yeah. And the culmination of all of these different Venn diagrams that led to the perfect time to start Conscious Suds. But tell us about what it was like to go through the beginning stages of being an entrepreneur, like mm-hmm. filing for your business, building a website, getting your yeah. marketing out there. Talk to us a little bit about what that process was Yeah, like. that's a really good question. I mean, I think for me and for really everyone, like we all have things that we're probably a little bit more OCD about. Maybe that's not the best term to use, but like, we're, we're more particular about, right. You know, like some people it's like, they care a lot about their house plans or like the way, you know, their outfit looks or whatever. If you're interested in something, especially you have that emotional investment, you want it to present well to the world Mm -hmm. typically. And I think people, you know, myself include, I'll just, I'll speak for myself. Right. I had this idea for a company and I wanted things to be perfect. And perfection is great, but to me, that's just unobtainable as a human being. You'll never get to perfect, but you can shoot for greatness and you can shoot for um, a lot of other levels of achievement or, you know, um, quality leading up to that. So I don't need a perfect business. I just need a pretty good one. And I think I had this idea of you need to be perfect before you launch. You need to have all your ducks in a row. You need the brand on point. You need the, the marketing on point. You need a strategy for social and you know, business statement and blah, 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 blah. Everything, all the tech stuff that goes into it. Yeah. And what I really just needed was the push to start. Mm. I, needed, I needed the courage to let go of my attachment to this idea of perfection. And I needed to just accept that it's not going to be perfect, but if I'm chasing after perfection, I'll probably never get there. And I will always conscious thoughts will just be an idea. Um, whereas it could be something more. So yeah, I, I was reading a book called, um, what's it called? Oh my God. Really bad. It's over there. It's on the shelf. It's, okay. it's written by Jacqueline Novogratz and it is, the name is escaping me. I'll probably think of it later on. That's okay. But it's about entrepreneurs and, and this topic of entrepreneurs who are trying to do things to uh, help the world be a slightly better place through business. Yeah. And she was saying like, just start. Like that's like right. after working with entrepreneurs, you know, throughout her career, that's the one thing you just need to do. And so I think I just got to the point where I realized that, and I, you know, I'd done a lot of prep work up to that point, kind of knew how to, you know, create an online store and I had my recipe down and, um, I'd figured out shipping to a degree, but then I just had to put it out there. And so what really was the first step was me just putting it up on Instagram, putting a video, I think up on Instagram that said, Hey, you know, 
you all know me. Uh, here's what I'm doing. I'm selling soap now. And this is why it's different than your typical bar. And if you want to order some, let me know. And, you know, I had this idea that you would, uh, someone would go to my website, they would order there and that would be it. And it would be very buttoned up. But then I just thought, you know, um, again, I need to actually test my assumptions in a real world setting. Mm-hmm. I need a minimally viable product. I just need to even know if people are interested in this. And sure enough, they are, you know, and, and I think once you actually get that real, real world experience, you get your product out there, you get your business out there, you can test the assumptions that you made right? and you can pivot or persevere from there. You can change things from there, but you actually have to get started. Uh, and that is the hardest part. It's the part that involves the most risk, but it's, it's essential. Yeah. And like the simple way that I think about it is version one is better than version none. Like I struggle with that too. Maybe it's a family trait where I'm like, okay, everything has to be just buttoned up perfect. And like, I get analysis paralysis of, I can't hit go until Mm -hmm. everything's perfect. But one of my business coaches pulled me aside and said that exact phrase of, Megan, version one is better than version none. Like you can always continue, continuously reiterate your process, your product, your go-to-market strategy, um, your marketing, your branding, but you need to get out there first. And like you said, Connor, have those real world experiences, those proof points of, hey, there's actually demand for this and Mm -hmm. people really want what what I'm selling or what I'm offering as a service. Um, So tell you told us that there was kind of this tipping point when you were at school at St. John's and um, mm-hmm. when you lived out on the West Coast. Like, yep. what was that mindset shift that allowed you to see the bigger um, supply chain, like economics of, oh my gosh, like yeah. we can really make a difference with how we're voting um, with our dollars? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Really good question. Or if there's like an experience that just really stands out to you that solidifies that whole concept. Totally. I appreciate that question, Megan. You know, I think it was a lot of different experiences culminating in one, but I will say like one concept that really brought it together was just the idea of systems thinking, right? You know, I think we tend to think of um, it's really easy just just to kind of focus on smaller, detached um, areas of expertise or what's in our immediate vision, what's going on in our world. Uh, and that can cause us to lose track of the bigger picture and how the pieces fit together. So it'd be like if you had, you know, a puzzle that you were putting together and it was like a thousand pieces. Um, and instead of just focusing on like, you know, maybe some chunks that you had put together already, you were just focusing on one little piece, you know, like you need to, you need to kind of have an understanding for how the pieces fit together and how they work together. Because that one, that one puzzle piece, it's important, but it's not the puzzle. It is part of the puzzle. It is something bigger that helps maybe two chunks come together. So, you know, I, I guess, um, you and I both are liberal arts students and I'll make a plug for a liberal arts education. Uh, (laughs) That really served me well because, you know, I took like environmental science classes, again, like eco-feminist philosophy class, looking at uh, how, you know, 
men, women, uh, and the environment all uh, interacted together. Mm-hmm. So you start to see that we're all part of a system, uh, many systems, you know, a lot of which we create ourselves and many of which we don't, like the natural world and the environment mm-hmm. and the carbon cycle and the water yeah. cycle and big things like that. Um, so, you know, when it goes, when it comes back to climate change and entrepreneurship, I realized that how we're creating products, how we consume products, the amount that we consume, how we create the raw materials, all of that has a, like a carbon footprint. Mm-hmm. And, um, again, though, it's a system that we create, you know, that is, that is the system that we create, but it, it is impacting it impacts the systems that we did not create the systems that we inherited like our environment so if you can reduce the footprint of the system that we create you can be good to the one that we depend on you know and i guess what uh the big realization for me was like climate change isn't just about saving the you know the polar bears that would be nice i want them to be saved who doesn't love polar bears i mean look how cute they are but Coca-Cola would be without a mascot. You know, people would just imagine like sitting in theaters a hundred years from now and looking at that little polar bear and being like, wow, that's, I've seen one in a museum, but yeah, it does exist. But like to that point, like you just said, we only have one planet and like, we only have one habitat. Yes. There's no planet B. There's no planet B. Even if you're Elon Musk and you think we're going to Mars, yeah, <laughs> like there is no planet B yeah, right now. Yeah, so totally, totally. So and, and I think Elon would admit admit that too as well. Um, he'd say we got to go to Mars, and we also need an energy revolution. Yeah, yeah that's you know, true. It's a, <laughs> but it's yeah. Back to your point, it's simple little choices. Like I remember when we were pregnant with our daughter, that I, there was just a slew of like product that you could get for this child. And I drew back on some of my experiences from my liberal arts education when I lived in Africa, where moms didn't have all of these plastic products all over the place and they use cloth diapers. And guess what? Their carbon footprint was really small and their kids turned out okay. (laughs) uh, So just knowing that the more informed you become as a consumer, the easier it is to continue to make these conscious choices. Mm. Um, so tell us a little bit more about your. I think you cut out there. Yeah. Man. Tell us a little bit more about your supply chain and some of the impact that you've been able to make. Cause the part of the, your business that I love is that you're using organic, but you're also focusing on, um, 1% for the planet. So tell us more about, about your supply chain mm. and that vision. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so as you said, uh, there's that 1% component conscious suds donates 1% of our, um, our revenue to supporting social justice and environmental justice groups. That's like a small tax on ourselves, you know, and it's, mm. it's like, the thing is like, the prices are so out of whack. Like we consume fossil fuels, you know, but the, the impact that that has on the environment or on our own health isn't necessarily reflected in the price. Mm. And it's the same way with, you know, business too, my own business. So my business creates an impact on the planet. Even if I try and do everything right, I'm still to some degree polluting. 
Um, now that isn't something that should make me stop running a business, but it's something I should be mindful of and try and reduce when I can so that I'm doing as um, small. So I'm limiting my impact as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I'm saying is the 1% thing is, is kind of like a tax I impose on myself, you know? And, and again, when you think about the system, I realize that my business depends on the generosity and the work of all these other people in places around the world. You know, I get my, um, my coconut oil from the tropics and my hemp oil from Canada, you know, and, and the farmers there only grow, uh, those products because they have a functioning biosphere to grow it in. Mm -hmm. And if I want to, ensure my supply chain stays functioning. If I want to ensure a continuous supply of those products, like the coconut oil and the hemp oil, I need to support the farmer and I need to um, take care of the ecosystem for those crops to grow in. Right. So this is our way of just hopefully giving back, hopefully offsetting a little bit of our impact, but it's, it's still not perfect. It's still only going part of the way, you know, and, and again, um, we're using all organic uh, products or wild crafted products because again, I think that that has the, the smallest impact on the environment and probably the most potential to reverse climate change because uh, soils that are cultivated under organic agriculture tend to sequester more carbon. Um, but it's never perfect, right? You know, it's all along the way we're, we're still polluting, you know, I, I buy this stuff and I'm still getting boxes full of plastic and paper that are like housing the, you know, the oil that I'm using. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think what we need to do is, is not beat ourselves up, um, or tear ourselves down for not being perfect. Again, going back to the idea of perfection. But we just need to say, well, how can I be better? How can I be a little bit better than tomorrow? Or, or what can I do? What's within my power? You know, and I think um, what we really need to do, again, is just let go of that idea of perfection and also look at the way that we act as a collective rather than just individuals. Because mm-hmm. it's easy to like feel like the world is on your shoulders as an individual. But really, it's, you know, it's kind of all of us, not just yeah. one of us. So a million, um, that was tangential. No, that's okay. It's a middle, a million little decisions that we make all day, every day that impact global climate change, whether it's, you know, what kind of soap you're using or what kind of clothing you choose to purchase. Like all of that had a supply chain. All of that had uh, a whole workforce that put that Mm. together to get it shipped to a store, get it shipped to you. Um, so that you could consume, <laughs> I know we don't like yeah. that word, but so that well, you could this what you're doing. that yeah. product or service. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. And it's kind of mind boggling to think. And the, the cool thing is, is like we live in a global economy where that's possible, you know, where I can source my ingredients from around the world, you know, mm-hmm. hundreds of miles away. Um, and companies can work together to, like I shipped soap to Ireland and Germany and Alaska and California. How, (laughs) in what other time period could we do that? You know, but, but again, that comes with a cost and it's nothing we should ignore, but it's, you know, I think if you're an entrepreneur, you're always asking this question, like, how can we be more creative in what we're doing? How can we do this better? 
And supply yeah. chains are definitely a place we can look at to improve what we do and offer even more value for every stakeholder. And right. the number one stakeholder is the environment. <laughs> true. Yeah. So true. I know one of the things that we've done in our business is we've pivoted to purchasing things in bulk because the freight costs to get it shipped to the apartment complex. If we're buying just yeah. one refrigerator, it's like, okay, there's so much deadhead space where you're still paying for the truck to drive back. But if we decide, okay, we know we're going to renovate all 300 of these apartment buildings. Let's get all of the refrigerators, all of the yeah. freezers, all of the stove and ranges done. And then we'll put it on site in our storage facilities. And as we turn pull from that, we're paying less in shipping. There's less diesel fuel that's being burned. Mm-hmm. Um, so just, it's a matter of planning and strategic planning and budgeting. I think yeah. that you do that really, really well on, oh, on your website Thanks. too. Because I mean, you're, you're doing that really well. Because <laughs> Everything you just described is way bigger scale than what I'm doing. <laughs> um, okay, cool. So tell us a little bit about some of the impact that you've been able to make with the causes that you care about and social justice, like through some of the sales that you've had? Yeah. I mean, it, it's small, you know, cause I'm not, I'm not a huge company. I'm not just wheeling and dealing. So I, I don't make it like a ton of revenue, but it's still cool to occasionally, you know, make a donation to, um, I think, um, the first two or three donations I made was to, um, the Jesuit volunteer Corps. Northwest, which is, you know, who I served through when I lived in Seattle and Spokane in Washington state. And then, um, I also sent a huge order to, uh, soap to interim, which is where I served in Seattle. And, and then just, yeah, I mean, it's, it's cool to be able to, to say, oh, wow, you know, not only does my business get to reallocate some of this wealth that we've received, but it's because of our customers support too as well. So really it's like, it's not our money that we're donating. It's like the money of all these other people, you know, who maybe have no idea, you know, um, what the Jesuit volunteer Corps Northwest is, but now they're supporting it. So again, like, you know, if you think about money as a tool and a medium for good, it's, um, it's pretty clear that it can have a, a range of impact and that business can, be um, an amazing engine for redistributing that wealth in a way that really adds value. Um, But again, we're at the beginning stages. It's been a small impact. I hope that again, you know, it's not even, I hope that the impact we create is not so much being able to occasionally send money to an organization that we care about. I hope the impact that we make is selling people on the idea and the reality that their everyday actions make a world of difference. Yeah. Um, especially when like, you know, it's, it's one thing to have one consumer say, I want organic this or organic that, or I, I want us to use less plastic, or I want you to treat your workers better. <clears throat> Amazon. Um, but, <laughs> but when we get a number of consumers doing that, that's when we can tap into the power of collective change. You know, if there's right. one thing I really learned through my time out West, it's that people can do so much more when we work together rather than when we um, just act as individuals. 
And there are probably people who are really skeptical of conscious consumerism. And yeah, that movement idea still kind of has its flaws, but you can't deny that so much change has occurred because of people's spending decisions for better or for worse. You know, like, like there's evidence of that everywhere. And if you really, you can like criticize it all you want, but if you just dig and do the research, like the market responds to price and the market responds to people and companies are only putting things out there if people buy them. If there's no, and if there's no people buying fossil fuels, people aren't going to sell fossil fuels. There's no money in it, you know? Right. So, you know, I think again, the individual has an obligation, um, to use their purchasing power in ways that work for them to do good. And that's really the change I'm, I'm trying to affect more than anything, Yeah, you know, whether conscious suds makes it as a business or continues or not. So that's what I feel best about as an entrepreneur. Yeah. Well, and I have hope in the fact that there's so many millennials and Gen Z where they will specifically do diligence and do research yeah. on the conscious efforts of a corporation and whether they're mm-hmm. actually impacting change and doing a business for good for both their entire supply chain or just the consumer yeah. themselves. And so there's hope on the horizon, but I think that there totally. needs to be more entrepreneurs like you, more entrepreneurs like me, Connor, like our family only gets so big. So like, mm, how, how, what, what words of encouragement do you have for um, entrepreneurs that are, toying with the idea of impacting change by starting a business, what would you say to them? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, I mean, no bones about it. It can be really hard. It can be really hard to be an entrepreneur. And I think those difficult things in life are usually the, the ones we're doing. I'd say, you. I don't know, this is all of a sudden not being too inspirational. It's just being maybe more realistic, but um <laughs> and if the, is this getting off topic if i'm just no you tell it how it is and trying I'll... to temper temper people's expectations yeah. um it's not like we we tend to i think idolize entrepreneurs and we're a very entrepreneurial country um and that's awesome but i think people got to understand that it is hard work and you're not going to just make it big right away um, and it's not going to be easy and it shouldn't be easy. No pain, no gain. You know, I think we hear the, the stories of the companies raising a ton of money or, you know, just blowing up like fa- the Facebooks and the Googles and Amazon. Um, but we don't hear about all the entrepreneurs that fail, you know, right. <laughs> and that yeah. uh, don't make it you know, or they raise a ton of money and and they run out of runway and their business goes under, you know, and these are still businesses that are like really well staffed. They're full of uh, incredible talented people. They raise a ton of money. So I think that's not to say like, don't become an entrepreneur. It's just to say that don't expect yourself to make it right away and don't beat yourself up if you don't. And don't beat yourself up if you try it and you decide this isn't for me or, or this isn't the idea for me nothing is a waste if you learn from it. So as long as you're learning along the way and you're not, you know, cashing in your 401k to fund, you know, hopefully to fund your business or whatever, like you're okay. You can experiment, but just know that sometimes experiments don't go according to plan. Um, 
and that it's okay to fail. That's just part of the narrative too, as well. Yeah. But it's not really failure if you if you learn from it. Yeah. Um, and I think we get so hung up again on that idea of perfection, the way we look, we want to be seen as successful. Um, and to me, I think we need to redefine success. Like, I think that a successful person is someone who um, puts love out there, puts good things out there, who tries to add value to people's lives and who is um, maybe afraid of failing, but willing to, to risk it. Yeah. And someone who's willing to call it quits when the time is right too, as well. Um, maybe they realize that, you know, this isn't for me. It's a lot harder than I thought. There are things that I'd rather do with my time. That's okay too. So just, you know, uh, don't, don't, I think to all the entrepreneurs, I would say, do not marry yourself to your expectations, but rather be open to possibility and be good to yourself too as well and and just know that you're finding success you are successful uh if you're learning and it doesn't even matter how much money you make in the end but what kind of impact are you doing and what are you learning yeah that's so true what mm -hmm. kind of impact are you making what are you learning how are you mm -hmm. using your failures to propel you forward um and just the whole idea of you're going to take action and you're going to dare greatly. And that's enough. You dare greatly, you learn, um, that should be enough. And if you find something out about yourself through the whole process of being an entrepreneur, great. Use that as a catalyst for your next chapter in, in your life, whatever that yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. And so many entrepreneurs fail really hard at first, yeah. but then later on go on to to make it, you know, because they had those previous experiences or just people in general, you know? And again, I think like the people who are willing to do that a lot are the people who usually develop a better sense of systems and system thinking because they can relate, you know, this experience back to another experience and see mm -hmm. how the pieces connect. So that's huge. And again, I, I like what you said about doing greatly, right? That come, goes back to Brene Brown and yeah. the, the man in the arena, right? <laughs> yep. Teddy Roosevelt. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're going to be haters out there, you know, mm -hmm. but they're not the ones in the arena. And if you're in the arena, you're already like, you're already winning, you know, yeah. even if you get beat up. Right. You already won because you're playing on the arena floor. So you are, you're living your life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, where uh, can people find more information about Conscious Suds, Connor? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, you can go to my website. They can visit conscious suds, C O N S C I O U S S E D S.com conscious suds.com. They can also, I guess if they want, you know, find me on Instagram, um, at conscious suds or Facebook, you know, I do have a Facebook page too as well, but, but I've been taking a little bit of a hiatus from social, although I, I will get back on to promote this this podcast for sure. Um, yeah. Cause you know, I mean, we're, we're conscious. We're trying to be as conscious as we can and trying to think about what we put out there. And as a marketer, I think sometimes, you know, am I, am I adding value in this post? And, and sometimes I, I don't feel like I am. So I guess we're just trying to reassess where we're at with our social strategy too, as well. So the best way to learn about us is through conscious Ed's website. So all right. Suggest we'll make that. sure to take all of those things in the show notes. Oh, and, shoot. Thank you. <laughs> but thank you so much for coming today. Yeah, Connor, I appreciate chatting with you.
Yes. Until next time. Until we meet again. Until next time, dare greatly, do good, and make a difference. This has been the Business for Good podcast with Megan Lamke. Thank you for joining the Business for Good podcast. Make sure to subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share this with a friend. 